This is Dreamer to Creator, the podcast, with your hostess, Gabriella Bruner. This podcast was created to share stories of real people who dream and create. Their stories are inspiring. Their stories are resilient. Their stories are real. This podcast was Gabriella's dream, and she wants you to know that her dreams are possible, and so are yours. Hello, 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 everybody. I am beyond excited to be here with all of you because this is the very first episode of Dreamer to Creator, the podcast. And I really could not be more excited for our very first guest, who I will share his name shortly, because the way that I have seen his story unfold, the way that I have seen him live his life is an inspiration to me daily, whether he knows it or not. And I think through sharing this time together, he will know it even more. (laughs) So I wanted to introduce all of you to Dr. Gavi Kafi. He is somebody that I know. I know his family from growing up in Honduras. We've crossed paths in a lot of different ways. And I am really just so blessed and honored to share this space with him because the story he's going to tell you guys is impactful. It's inspirational and it's, it's real. And so for any of you who have ever doubted that you can make something happen, you need to listen to his story. (laughs) So Dr. Gavi, how are you today? Thank you very much, Gabriela. That was a wonderful uh, intro. (laughs) I don't deserve it, but I'm doing good today. You know, I'm excited to be here and it's very humbling to be able to, you know, tell my story. I think a lot of times we take ourselves for granted. And it's important to be grateful, be blessed, be humble, and, you know, own who we are, because that's the only way we're going to grow. Oh, I agree. 100%. 100%. So I'd love to start everybody off because, you know, it's very obvious you're you're a doctor from the introduction, and that's a big part of your story. And the now part of your story involves coffee and cigars. And so one of the things I'm really passionate about is showing people the transition. So they're like, whoa, you went from doctor to now coffee and cigars. So I'd love for you to just start out with whatever you consider the beginning of this Mm. most recent transition that you've been going through. You know, I'll start off with my parents. You know, I grew up in a home which was very... A Roman Catholic, very strict upbringing. They always demanded the best of their kids. And I went on to, I wanted to go into sports medicine. So I studied foot and ankle medicine here in Florida. I did a specialty in primary care podiatry as well as podiatric orthopedics and foot and ankle surgery. My first year out, I worked with uh, some professional teams, both in basketball and in soccer. Second, third year, uh, it, there was a lot of traveling involved with uh, working for the sports teams. So I, I wanted to settle down and get married. So I kind of opened up my own practice here in South Florida and enjoyed it. I loved uh, my work because a lot of it was taking care of uh, geriatric patients, people over the age of 65. It was rewarding. It was something I loved. Uh, it's There's no better way 
to go through life than to earn a living helping other people. So that was something I, I actually miss. Uh, I don't want you guys to think I don't miss that. But one day, and I'm fast forwarding seven years after I was practicing, I came home and after dinner, I sat down and started watching TV and I noticed that my eyesight wasn't really normal. I guess that's the word. I thought I had a migraine, so I, you know, after dinner, I went and I laid down to rest. The next day, it was still there. I went to the optometrist and it's funny, as I'm telling the story, I'm kind of reliving the emotions. So if I kind of pause, I'm sorry. No, I appreciate but I went that. To, yeah, I went to the optometrist and I still remember his name. I won't mention it, <laughs> but he, he, he examined me and about 20, 30 minutes after, I guess he was having a hard time telling me, he told me that I had cancer of the eye, which was kind of, you know, a hard pill to swallow. Extremely hard. Yeah. You know, my wife was pregnant with our first child and, you know, having been told that I have cancer of the eye and he scheduled me to go to a uh, one of the best ophthalmologists here in South Florida at the uh, hospital, the main institute here. But that appointment was two weeks out. So I spent two weeks of my life kind of just cringing. I'm actually cringing right now thinking about it, you know, looking at my wife and just thinking about the baby and, you know, our life and where we were and kind of all the responsibilities that I had. And it was just mind boggling. You know, once I got uh, in with the ophthalmology team at the University of Miami, they did discover what was wrong with me. And I had a condition called CSR, or a Central Serous Chorea Retinopathy. It's, it's a condition that on initial evaluation looks like uh, some type of a malignancy, but it's actually blood vessels in the retina that tend to bleed and cause the retina to separate. So I want to fast forward. I don't want to get stuck there. But I, I do have a condition that's permanent. It's 1 in 10,000 people get it in one eye. I seem to have been one of the 100,000 to get it in both eyes. So it's, it's uh, because of that and some deficiencies in my eyesight, I was forced to give up uh, practicing medicine and treating patients. So my, my medical career came to an abrupt halt at the end of 2007. And I just found myself uh, in nowhere's land. Yeah. And that, that, I mean, you were answering my, the question that was coming to mind is you spend time and energy going to medical school. You found something that you said made you feel good to serve people, to help people in that way. And then really through no fault of your own, abruptly, that's done. And you're sitting here with your wife and your new family and you're thinking to yourself, what are you thinking to yourself at that point? Well, it's kind of funny because, I, you know, I, was, uh, I always had good relationships with my treating physicians. And my main doctor, who I love dearly, um, he put me on some pills that kind of help control your mood. And he put me on Lexapro. And, and listen, I'm not a pill guy. But being married and having kids and my wife pregnant and under that type of stress, you know, sometimes you have to kind of get some medical help. And I did. And, but after about two or three months, I kind of felt emotionally numb. 
being on this mood controlling and because you know I, I i would get emotional i'd get sad i'd cry i'd get angry and it wasn't i felt like i'd been cheated but i'm, I'm not the type of person to sit there and feel sorry for myself i'm, a, I'm kind of a fighter you put me up against the wall i'm going to come out swinging and i think we all are some of us just have to be pushed mm-hmm. to a I agree extreme limit ultimately it's innate that we're going to defend ourselves and fight for our futures. But I talked to my doctor and I said, listen, I love you and I think you're a great doc, but I'm getting off of these pills because I need to get my life back in order. And it took a while, but I started dabbling in, uh, I had two big hobbies. One was fishing and uh, the other was cigars. Being from Honduras, um, the family, my uncle's brother, cousins, you name it. We always would go to the beach and kind of relax and have a cigar. And I remember I have photos of me in medical school studying for finals, smoking a cigar. It was kind of my way to just sit back, relax, concentrate, and just, you know, tune everything out. And after a few years, I'd say after about six months, not years, I founded a fishing lures company in 2008 towards the middle to the end of the year. Because I loved fishing. I was really good at it. We had won tournaments offshore. I mean, this is probably something you weren't aware of. But I, I did know this because I remember my mom telling me that you turned this love for something into an opportunity to reinvent yourself after this experience that you had. Well, I started digging deep into the things that I love and the things that I was good at. And I had this mindset. I still do. You know, if, if you can become a doctor, a lawyer, a professional, if you can achieve something in your life, it's a given that you'll be able to achieve something else. You just have to apply the same principles and process and passion. So if, you know, somebody out there became an architect and they want to switch careers or paths, you know, it's the same principles that got you to be a great architect that will get you to be great at something else. That so is incre- like incredible advice right there, because I think what people forget is that, that they can't do it again, that they did it once, and so they're done. It's not like this well that dries up that you never have access to again. It's like the gift that keeps on giving, because it's not the education that made you a lawyer. It's you or a doctor or a whomever. It's all the discipline, the focus, the persistence, the passion, the commitment, the love. And those things are completely transferable to something else. They are. But the secret is you got to do it at least once in your life. You, you have. I think a lot of people are just afraid to try. But, you know, when I, when I started the Fishing Lures Company, I, you know, it's interesting because it's not me. It's me that might have the idea, but it's other people that help me bring it to life. So I kind of, I, I hunt for the best. I, I always look for who do I want to be surrounded by? And I was fortunate to have found a gentleman up in uh, Stewart, Florida, Danny Phillips, who was just amazing at uh, crafting, making lures and designs and patterns. And he, he was the artisan and I was kind of the, uh, the, the guy with the idea and the passion. And um, together we, we built a uh, fishing lures company that I owned and managed and he kind of ran the guts of the operation. And, you know, in, in about two years, we had um, been selling product in the U.S. in 24 different countries. And 
quality of the product was so good that it's still on the market today, seven, eight years later. I was at a medical conference last weekend and I met someone up in South Carolina who actually remembers me from the lures because he has some still. That's fantastic. That's so great. Yeah, I, I felt as much as I loved fishing and, and, and that part of my life, I also found myself kind of enjoying cigars as much. The, the, my life came to another crossheads when I was invited by a friend to go to the Bahamas to fish one of the biggest marlin tournaments down there. A friend of mine had a, a big yacht with all the bells and whistles. And he wanted me out there because I was, you know, the lure genius and the fishing guru. And my friend, Captain Bruce Burnett, who I respect so much, we both went out there and we spent two weeks on an island called Hawks Cay, uh, 400 miles southeast of Nassau in the Bahamas. I mean, so you got to, I, th I think it's important to say all these things because literally I didn't know what to expect. And I just, you got to jump in. You got, if, if life gives you an opportunity, don't be the person that says no. Say yes and then figure it out. Mm. So when I, when I was invited to go to the Bahamas, I said, yes, when do we go? And sure enough, before I knew it, we were down there and we were on the water uh, testing product, doing photography. Uh, video. Uh, I mean, we were doing a lot of stuff. Mind you, I've still got a visual impairment. So, you know, Captain Bruce was really my eyes on the trip at the time. And when my buddy came down to fish the tournament, we ended up doing really well. We actually caught a marlin in the first half hour. It's just the way things happen were, I mean, you couldn't tell a story that was that perfect. The interesting thing is when I was on that yacht for about a month, I mean, I don't want, you know, this is a luxury for me to be able to do that. But I'd spend a month on a, on, a, on a yacht in the middle of nowhere smoking Cuban cigars and some of the most expensive cigars in the world. I mean, that's how outfitted this boat was. I was blessed to have been a guest on the boat. And while I was there, you know, after about two or three weeks, it kind of hit me, you know, and I said, you know something, I think I could do better. I really felt down deep inside in my gut that I could create as good or better a cigar, but at a better value. Because I, I'm always conscious of the connoisseur, the customer, people's access to products. I think that's really important in this day and age. Not everybody's rich. So me being on that boat, I, you know, I remember I came back home and I sat down with Vivian, my wife, and we started talking. And I said, honey, you know what? I said, I just spent a month you know, fishing and great and the lure company's doing fine. But you know something like I've got this fire in me that I think I'll be able to do greater good. You know, being from Honduras, a part of me's always wanted to help the people of Honduras. And as much as I enjoyed the fishing lures company and making product here in the U.S., I don't know, I felt a, something missing. I felt a lack of a connection between me and the country where I was born. So I... Over the next few months, I began to really look into uh, tobacco, the tobacco growing regions, uh, the different types of seeds, the di just everything. I really began to research all the companies in existence, all the brands, where they were at, where they were selling. And as, as my love for cigars grew, I think my attention to the fishing lures company, it died off, but... I'll share this with you, which nobody knows. I think it's really important because it, it kind of 
In order to receive in life, you have to give. I ah,、uh, your words are music to my ears. <laughs> you know, I'm, I'm I'm sorry. I'm I'm a little.、Uh, if I pause, it's because I'm getting emotional. And、mm. when I quit practicing, when I quit practicing medicine, you know, I had a vibrant practice, and I had choices. You know, I could sell it. I could, you know, do many things with the practice. To kind of get you know monetary reward, but what I did was、um, there was a friend of mine who was valedictorian of our class in medical school, and I you know I always admired her dedication to medicine and the studies, and she was always willing to help somebody else out. And I told my wife, you know, honey, I don't know if my condition is going to be permanent or temporary. I said, you know, let's not sell the practice. She says to me, what do you want to do? And I'm like, you know, I I just I want to meet with Dr. Colon, and、um, I really just want to see if she'll take over my practice. And that's what we did. We met with her.、Um, she was kind of shocked that somebody would do that, but I told her, you know, we sat down. My son Gabriel had been born already, and we told her, listen, you know, I don't know what my future has in store for me, but. You're the only person I trust to take over my practice.、Uh, I don't really want anything in return. I just want you to promise me that if someday my eyesight improves, I can come back and and work for you or work with you. And that's kind of the arrangement that we did. So when I left medicine, that's kind of how I left it. But I like. I think it's important to bless others and always leave, never shut doors. It's always good to build relationships that. Even though you don't see that person every day, you have had such an impact on their life that there's a bond that lasts forever. You know, with the fishing lures company, when I fell in love with cigars, and my heart and my mind and my passion kind of went in that direction, I met with、uh, Danny Phillips, who was the、um, the master lure maker at the shop, and I sat down with him and I said, "Hey, listen, my life is."、Uh, I really want to go in a different direction. You know, I don't, I, I don't really want to give up something that we've built. So he took over the entire operation, and、uh, with that, he created his own brand now, and he's he's still doing it, and he loves it. So the doctor that I worked、uh, that that took over my practice is still practicing. She's doing fantastic.、Uh, Danny Phillips is also.、Uh, On fire, you know. It's inspiring to see them flourish in in what they were born to do. And I'm I'm on my journey doing,、uh, you know, what I believe is my calling now, which is helping people by having stable jobs in Honduras.、Uh, we affect a lot of people, you know. We we are a small operation, but just in Honduras, we've got about ninety employees that depend on. This small company that I just created three and a half years ago. In the U.S., we also have、uh, sales reps.、Uh, we work with about 550 retailers in the U.S. We export to 13, 14 countries. But it's it's it doesn't matter if it's just one cigar that we sell. I think what's important is if if you have to believe so much in what you do that it becomes contagious. Oh my goodness! Yes, you have to believe so much in what you do that it becomes contagious. I have goosebumps everywhere as you say that because I think that's where some people fall into the fine syndrome. What I'm doing is fine, and it's like it provides a paycheck, it does what it needs to do, 
but they don't really believe in what they do. And when you see those people who have that, that fire, that's the piece that I believe is what ignites that fire. They believe so much in what they do that it just shines right out of them. It's tough. I have trouble, uh, you know, I never talk about myself, so I'm, I don't really uh, like it. I, I, I'm doing it for you, Gabriella, and, and the podcast. I, I, I'm grateful for the <laughs> Thank you. <laughs> I'm grateful for the opportunity, but I'm sure you'll all remember, you too, Gabriella, that you're going through school and all that. What made the difference between making it through and not was the time you spent alone, you know, late night, doing an all-nighter, cramming, studying. Our true gifts are displayed when we kind of isolate ourselves and we work alone to bring out the best in us. And it's still like that for me today. I find myself, you know, I don't have a nine to five job. I have a 24 hour a day job. You know, it could be one in the morning and I'm, I could be sleepy, but I have a thought and I'll get up. I have a home office, so I'll come into the office at home and I'll not, I'll, I'll do it when I do it. You know, I'll sit there and, and I'll start thinking about it, the design uh, you know, the idea or, you know, how to strategize and target a market. And there's no right way of doing things. There's no wrong way of doing things. If you just sit there and you do it and you push forward, things will fall into place. You can't be afraid. Oh, I don't know how to do it. Or, you know, the only way you're going to figure it out is by starting. You have to start. You have to do it. You have to take that chance. And it's going to hurt. And you're going to fall and you're going to, you know, break your nose. And it's, it's, you're going to have nights like I do where you might have a little bit of anxiety or you might be restless or you might be worried because you've got this amazing staff that you love so much. And okay, Friday's coming around and you have to pay them. But it's, it's ironic that I, I really do believe that there's somebody upstairs watching our efforts and you know no matter how worried I am or how much I like right now I'm thinking okay you know I've got a huge bill coming up two weeks from now but I just keep pushing forward and the past three and a half years the more I push forward the more it seems that things get taken care of somehow or some miracle or another and just yesterday uh, we captured the attention of a distributor in Germany. So here I am sitting in my office in Miami. I'm thinking, gee, I'd really like to get into Germany. Here's me thinking. I'm literally thinking this last week. I really want to get a distributor in Germany. And my thoughts throughout my whole life have really turned into reality. You have to have those thoughts. You have to put them out there. You have to ask God for help. And, and it seems that every time I do that and the timing is right, it happens. So we got a call from a distributor in Germany. He's interested. He wants samples. He's super excited. He's been following us on every medium out there, whether it's social media or our website or an incredibly valuable podcast like this one. But people love, you know what people love, and, and, and this is something I'm getting, and I'm not jumping from one theme to another, but you know what people love? People love to help other people. Yes, they do. People love to help other people. And I think as our stories getting out there, 
And people realized, wow, they started with nothing. This guy is not second, third generation tobacco farmer. This guy is not, he did not inherit this. This guy's just, he started this from scratch just because he wanted to someday. And they see our struggles and they see our pains. And no matter what, we still put our best foot forward. People have an affinity to people that are working hard, struggling, sacrificing, trying to do good, not only for them, but for their entire staff. And, and this is what our German distributor said to us. I mean, even though he's some across the planet, the world, he's conveying to me, he's been watching us. He likes what we're doing. I mean, he's telling me all the things that I kind of take for granted because I'm, I'm kind of here busy doing them. I've got like, you know, the horse blinders on. I'm just focusing on the things that I love and my beliefs and how I was raised and brought up and my religion and integrity and But there's people out there that are watching and don't ever take it for granted thinking that you're alone. You know, when you have these crazy ideas and you want to jump and start doing something, trust me when I tell you there are people watching that you don't even know. And sooner or later, it, those are the people that will bless you in everything that you do. Mm, that sounds, oh, that's so good. And there were two questions that were coming up for me because a lot of the people that I have come into contact with through my work, the questions that I hear from them are, one, how do you get started? So how do you even take an idea? How do you even know which idea to run with? And two, how do you keep going? So when you get slammed with adversity or challenges or, you know, huge mountains, right, that are kind of feel like they're blocking your way. And through your story, you shared with us that you've had plenty of those. How do you keep going? I'll start with the first question, and I'll, I'll relate to, obviously, my cigar business. Is um, I wanted to get into the cigar business, right? So I'm sitting at home with my wife, and she's looking at me like, you're crazy, but I love you. So, I, you know, she's, she believes in me and trusts me, and I think that's huge. It's very important to be with a spouse that you know, married you for all the right reasons, which is kind of uh, the person. You marry the person, their heart, their mind, their beliefs, and uh, what type of life you can build with them. So we sat and we talked, and I said to her, I want to build a cigar company. And it's interesting because when I wanted to do sports medicine, I knew that if I wanted to be the best, I had to go to the number one medical school in the country focusing on that. So I did. And I kind of applied the same principle to the cigars. I said, you know, I want to go into the cigar business. Who's the best cigar maker in Honduras, I said. And I did that. I went, I, I just, I remember one day I drove up to their offices here in Miami that they have. I walked in and I introduced myself. I said, you know, I'm so-and-so. And they were really nice. And I said to them, what is the best cigar that you guys make? And I knew they were the best because of obviously their... 40-year legacy in Honduras, their fame, their accolades. I mean, everybody around the world knows who they are. Um, so I went to their office and I, I really wanted to know what they were capable of after having spent a month smoking supposedly some of the best cigars in the world, including Cubans in the Bahamas. So I walked in, I asked them for, you know, their best box of cigars and I bought it and I went home. And I didn't really say anything else. I sampled their product. I thought it was really good, very good. But I still saw, I was always, it's not that there's no such thing as the perfect cigar. It's like if I say burger, there's no such thing as a perfect burger. Everybody has different tastes. But 
there were things that I loved from their product and there were things that I loved from other products. The thing that really stood out to me was the farming aspect. Having gone to medical school, I had a degree in biology and I, you know, chemistry and physics and all that. So I kind of, I wanted to really understand the farming aspect, the fermentation of tobacco, the aging. Making a cigar is not just about taking leaves, rolling it, and then kind of, there's, it's a process. It's a three, four, five year process of getting the tobacco to a point that it's ready to be rolled into a cigar. And I, I've noticed that in the past 10 years in the U.S., the, the American consumer got kind of distracted with brands. It's all about branding now. It's not really about how the product is made. Um, marketing companies have kind of taken over the whole aspect of how things are sold. You know, the, the, the number one marketers out there are the ones selling the most product, not exactly the best product at times. Me, I was kind of going backwards. I didn't want to focus on producing a large quantity. I wanted to focus on quality. And so I partnered up with this family and I sat down with them a week after I tried their cigars and I said, listen, I know you guys have never partnered up with anybody in your 40, 50 year history. They'd been making cigars back since 1937 in Cuba and they had never made a cigar for anybody else or with anybody else. So I sat down with them, I partnered up with them, told them about my family in Honduras and uh, my upbringing and kind of what my goals were. And you know what? They opened the door, they gave me a shot. And for about three years, you know, I got into the bowels of their factory and began to really understand the entire process of making cigars. We didn't start big. You know, my first uh, shipment of cigars to Miami was 300 boxes. It was a very small order. And this, this will answer your second question, you know, how do you start something and how do you keep going? The second question, I think you'll find this very funny is, you know, I remember when the cigars arrived in Miami and their beautiful boxes and the cigar bands and everything's packaged. This was about probably about eight, nine months after I, I started working with them, visiting the factory and working with the tobacco rollers and makers down there. The shipment arrives to Miami, and I call my wife because uh, I was at the office, their distribution office. I said, honey, the cigars are here. And she kind of says, great. She goes, you need to sell them now. <laughs> <You know? laughs> and then it's kind of like, you know, that's something that I really didn't plan on, you know, like, okay, yeah, okay, we, we achieved making a cigar. We got the product here. We, we've been focusing so much on, on packaging, on the press releases, on the announcements, on websites, on everything just to get this company off the ground. And then they land and she says, you need to sell them. <laughs> the practical voice appears. Yeah, she's like, <laughs> okay, go sell them now because obviously we need the money, you know? And listen, I'm not going to sit here and tell you stories about our financial turmoil, but we went through a couple years of financial hell. But it's, you know, our faith got us through it, our faith and our dedication to each other and our family and just kind of having faith in God and ourselves, it got us through it. You know, it, I owe everything to God. But, you know, the cigars arrived and she looks at me, I got home that night and she's like, so what's your plan? Yeah, I'm, I'm a pretty dumb guy. I, you know, when it comes to sales, I, I'm not, a, I didn't study sales. I didn't go to sales school. I don't even know if there exists. But I remember my, my dad said, my grandfather used to say that my father was the best salesman the family business ever had in Honduras. 
Mm. You know, my, my family has, uh, they come from an entrepreneurial background in Honduras. And my grandfather, my father was one of 11 kids. And my grandfather would always say that his youngest son, Fernando, which was my dad, was without a doubt the best salesman the company ever had. And that always stuck with me, you know, that, that stuck with me. I always looked up to my dad and I kind of said, you know, if, if, if Pops had it in him, there's got to be a little bit of him in me. Absolutely. And so th- that kind of gave me the courage. I sat down, I talked to my wife, I told her the same story I'm telling you. And I said, you know what? I said, there's only one way to sell this stuff. I said, I'm not going to look for a sales rep. I can't afford one. I can't hire salespeople. It's just not realistic. I said, and meanwhile, my, this was after three years of having my driver's license revoked because my eyesight was so bad. About two months before that first shipment came in, my eyesight in my right eye got good enough to where I was able to get my driver's license back. Hmm. So the timing was kind of, I don't know, I think. It was perfect. It was perfect. It was, you know, I don't, I don't think it was coincidence. I think it was uh, the man upstairs kind of planning my life, you know. Mm. And I got in my truck and I said bye to my wife and son. I literally told my wife, I'm going to go door to door to every cigar shop from here until God knows where I end up until I sell every box. Mm. And those are the moments that make or break a company. When, when you got to dig deep and find something in yourself that you didn't know you had. And the only way to do that is you got to do it alone. Unfortunately, being successful sometimes means being a loner. Got to be alone so that you can dig deep and find out what talents you possess. And sure enough, I, I, two weeks later, I'm in Washington, D.C. I, I traveled all of Florida, uh, Georgia, South Carolina, North Carolina, Virginia, Washington, D.C. Two weeks later, I called home. You know, I kept in touch with my wife, but I called home and I told her, honey, we sold out of product. We sold out. And she says, how'd you do it? I said, nothing. I just walked in. I had my samples and I spoke to the owners or the buyers and I sat down with them. I told them my story and You know, like I said, people love to help people. And there are so many people that have given me just an opportunity. That's all I ask is is just give me a chance. You know, don't don't say no to me. Just give me a chance. Let let me try to show you what I've been doing or what we've been doing. And I think I think opportunities this is the number one country in the world that opens the doors to anyone. And it's a shame when people don't really take advantage of that. You've got to go out there and do it. What keeps me going is just kind of, I see business like a, uh, like baking a cake. You know, let's say we're going to bake a cake for five people, right? We know the ingredients, you know, two cups of flour, two eggs, milk, butter, whatever. You know what? Uh, no, I don't bake cakes. I just... I, <laughs> I, I watch a lot of the Food Network, so I <laughs> you know, here are the basic ingredients. Just you yes. figure it out. <laughs> but you know, if you want to grow your business, you just add more ingredients. And and we've been very smart because we we don't we're very I don't like to use the word frugal because it kind of uh, it's I think it's a little bit negative. But we're very smart with our money. Intentional. Yeah, we we reinvest uh, in our people, in our staff. People wonder, how can I have a factory in Honduras? How do you trust strangers to run your factory? They're not strangers to me. They're, they've become family. And 
I've made them part owners of the factory. Mm. You know, we've got three gentlemen that are uh, managers at different levels, and they all own part of the factory. So, you know, when when you own something, you, I think you respect it, you treat it better, you show up earlier, you leave later, you you have a sense of pride in what you're doing, and there's no greater feeling in life than to be a part of something bigger than you. And, yeah. and that's kind of what we've built, is we've built something that's bigger than all of us. I mean, we've got a gentleman flying in from Switzerland in two weeks because he wants to visit our factory. And I, I called my guys in Honduras to share this with them, and they have no idea how that's happening. Like, how does that happen? And it's, it's not really our question to ask how. Our, 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 our mission is to make sure that when that gentleman comes here, that he's grateful for the trip, that we're humbled by his presence, and that we make sure we, we turn that into another successful story. Because he's given us an opportunity to work with him. Exactly. But yeah, it's, it's, it's a day-to-day struggle. It's not easy. The easiest thing to, to have is to have a nine-to-five job. That's easy. You know, my brother and I were talking about that the other day. He's a, a vascular surgeon, and he's in private practice. He's, it's tough. He's got, you know, almost a staff of 11, crazy overhead, crazy hours, He's still, he's on call all weekend long. He's 50 years old. He's got to sleep at the hospital all weekend long, making sure, you know, nobody dies while he's there. It's tough. It's tough to be self-employed. There are great jobs out there, but I think, I think it's, I don't want to discredit people that are employed, but if you really want to be independent and you really want to make your dreams come true, the only way you're going to do that is just to take that chance and do it yourself. And that's, yeah, that's an exact type of, process and conversation that I've had with myself, with people around me over and over. And some people are fortunate that they stumble upon an employer or somebody who really kind of helps them further their own dreams, but it doesn't happen very often. And I think that your story highlights what happens when somebody really wants to pursue their own dreams and how they have to take a step. They have to trust. They have to feel that fire in their gut, as you described when you were sitting on that luxury liner and in the Caribbean and and act upon it. I think that's the piece too that when we become when we go from dreaming to creating, when we have that image, that vision, that idea that we want to make a reality, it's acting. It's taking that first step. It's doing that first thing. It's pushing yourself. It's going door to door to cigar shops and saying, "Hey, look at me. Look at what I have to offer you. Look at what like the love, integrity, passion that I have built this." try it, give me a shot. And then you showing them over and over and over again, what your core values are and what you believe in, in order to make that happen. And that's why opportunities keep presenting themselves to you. Ah, I love your story so much. It's so inspiring. So where is, where is all this going in the future? Where, where is 1901 headed? We've, uh, keeping in tradition with kind of Honduras and some of its natural resources. Last year, we launched a coffee line from Honduras. Honduras is a massive exporter of coffee to the world. Unfortunately, the U.S. doesn't really get a lot of Honduran coffee. It's a shame, too. (laughs) Yeah, it's a shame. Um, A lot of the European markets, uh, Japan, China, Russia, those guys, I, I think they're as much as, you know, I'm not a millennial, right? I don't know. What's the millennial cutoff? I'm 45 years old. I I think it's with me. I think it's 1979, 1980. Yeah. The the millennials are a generation that are just driven by quality 
products and they're driven by um it's interesting i always I, I kind of dissected them i've dissected you guys and i've come to the conclusion that a millennial doesn't want to smoke the same cigar that his grandfather smoked he doesn't want to drink the same beer that his father drank they kind of want to define their own image by their own generational products and keep it in line with that you know, we found a beautiful farm in Honduras that is close to where we make our cigars that grows a single source Arabica bean coffee that is USDA certified organic. So we, we, you know, we've gotten very specific into single source fair trade organic coffee and we imp import that coffee to the U.S. and we roast it here in a USDA certified facility. It's certified organic. And we've been able to, we're not into mass production of anything. As a small family business, we try to keep things not just realistic, but I think you lose a little bit of passion when I think um, my mother used to always say growing up, it's funny, I had an uncle that had eight kids and my mom had three kids and my uncle would always make fun of her because she only had three kids. He was kind of mean. But her response was always quality over quantity. You know? mm. <laughs> <So>. <laughs> That's a, a beautiful comeback. <laughs> but, you know, so, so I kind of have the same philosophy in business. I'm, when Vivian and I got married, and this is something only she'll probably slap me when I tell you this. <laughs> you know, I was already practicing medicine. I was blessed to have a beautiful home, cars, you know, everything. I was well established. And when we got married, came back from our honeymoon and went to our home for the first time. Before we walked into the home, I said to her, I go, listen, I go, you have to promise me something. You see all this, the house, the cars, all this stuff. I go, this is just material stuff. It doesn't mean anything, I told her. This could come, this could go. It should not change who we are as people. And you know something? I go, that, I think that philosophy is what's kept us together like glue mm. through everything we've been through is we're not driven by material things or we understand the financial responsibilities that we have, but we're driven by quality, quality relationships, quality people, quality products, and, you know, a quality image. I think we want to be a role model for people in our industry. I think it's important. You know, we're one of the smallest cigar companies out there, but our lobby group is Cigar Rights of America. And I think of the over... 800 cigar companies in the U.S. We are one of 20 platinum sponsors of our mm. lobby group. It's not just about making money, and but it's also about giving back. You got to be responsible in the industry you're in. You got to be involved. You got to have your voice heard. But yeah, it's 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 just there's always stuff to do. If you wake up in the morning and you're starting a new business and you kind of don't know what your first step is. There's more than just one. There's a million steps, you know, so just get started um, and, do, and learn to do things yourself. I've learned to overcome a lot of hurdles. Uh, if you need to incorporate, do your homework. Incorporate yourself. Don't, don't have lawyers do everything for you because you're going to end up broke before you can have, you know, your business up and running. If you need to file a trademark, do it yourself. Call the trademark office, the USPTO. If, if anything you need to do, do it yourself. It's kind of like that old philosophy of, you know, how, how do you want to run the company if you've never swept the warehouse? I mean, yeah, I've, take I've, ownership, right? Take yeah, ownership of, of what you're building. I've swept floors. I've honestly cleaned toilets. I mean, I've done everything, but there isn't nothing that happens at our company that I don't know how to do. Mm. And I think that keeps everybody on their toes because 
you know, they know that I know how it's done right. Doesn't mean I, I, I know how to do everything perfect. It just means that I know the process and how it works. So know your business. And, and by knowing your business, you'll save a lot of money. Just do it, guys. The world is just dying for a new idea. This show itself is inspiring. Being able to tell my story, Gabriella, is I think something that was necessary to do. Because I live, I live holding it in so much. There's, there's a lot of stuff I hold in because some things were painful, some things were kind of emotional, and I think we got to vocalize our lives in order to be able to start write, to write the next chapter. Mm. I do want to continue to grow our business slow and steady. I, I have a firm, two firm beliefs. One is be debt-free, and number two is live the life that... If, if, if you need to buy stuff to make yourself happy, you're living the wrong life. Live a life that's fulfilling if money did not exist in the world. I always tell people I love that, you know, God created everything on earth, you know, light, water, plants, animals, you name it. The one thing he did not create is money, man-made money. So don't be driven by the one thing that God did not create. I think (sighs) think that's so important. And, you know, you'll, you'll... Look, you know, we, we haven't achieved success yet. Uh, I, my brother says, wow, you're doing a great job, Gabe. Good job. I said, I said, we're not there yet. Every time we talk, I tell him we're not there yet. We're not there yet. And I think I know we'll be there when we have had an impact on more people that we're working with down in Honduras and here in the U.S. I think success is about giving and about creating opportunities for other people. That's, that's kind of my passion right there. It's definitely your passion. And I do want to reflect back to you because I can, because I've seen your story. I've seen your progress and you are impacting people. So your success is going to keep growing and growing and growing. And those 90 people that are employed by you, those people who have an opportunity in Honduras, I mean, those people who have an opportunity to live a very different life because you acted upon your dream, because you didn't let adversity stop you are living a better life because you acted, because you took that idea, you took that passion and you made something of it and you didn't stop. So while I, I get what you're saying around the, you, you don't, the success, you know, right. in your definition, you're, you're still getting there. But I also want to reflect to you that the success that I see through you, through your family, through what you're building, through what you're creating, through how you're creating it, through how you hold on to your integrity in such a beautiful way, that to me is, it's success. It's success in my eyes. (laughs) Thank you so much. That's extremely humbling. You know, I I respect you and admire you so much for your accomplishments, your education, your family. And uh, we need to surround ourselves. You know, everybody, a, a, a friend of mine that I admire dearly, I won't mention his name because I think you may know him. He said today, Get rid of the people that bring out the negative aspects of your life or your person or your mind. You know, it's, it's, it, life is not about getting rid of people because I, I don't like to use negative words or negative actions or anything negative. I think life is about finding uh, your chiral. Remember the word in chemistry, chiral, mirror, mirror image? Yes. Find, find people that think like you do. Don't go through life focusing on getting rid of people. Focus on finding people that think like you, and that add fuel to the fire. I, I've been surrounded by people that said, no, no, it can't be done, can't be done, can't be done. Well, 
as much as I loved the family that I was working with when I first got into the cigar business and all the respect I had for the old man that built that company, there was a lot of negativity there. And, you know, God has a mysterious way of just kind of uh, elevating us when we ask for it. I think it's important to not, don't micromanage your thoughts. Focus on the big idea. If we, if we sit there, um, uh, what's that old saying? Stress is like rocking in a rocking chair. Mm. It gives you something to do, but doesn't get you anywhere. Ah, yep. <laughs> Don't micromanage your thoughts. You know, wake up every morning. You've got to set goals. Every day should have a goal. Every week should have a goal. Every month should have a goal. And accomplish them. That's it. You know, start small. When we started out, we started, my goal was to create one line of cigars. I actually named them after my father, the Don Fernando. Mm in honor of him, that's the cigar that I took with me on my trip to, for two weeks selling them, you know, so I had my dad with me by my side the whole way, you know, what, you know, heck, I'll be honest with you, I'd show up to some places I was kicking the door down walking in there. People thought I was nuts, but hey, you know, I was letting them know I'm here. Yeah. I drove all the way up here to sit down and have a meeting with you. You know, don't go through life passive because life will be passive with you. Mm-hmm. Uh, go out and get what's yours. It's out there. It's there for the taking. Go get it. Build mm-hmm. up that courage. And you know something? If you don't, if it doesn't feel right, if you have butterflies, guess what? You're doing the right thing. Yeah. If you're crapping yourself, guess what? You're doing the right thing. <laughs> if you're sitting there and you can't sleep all night because you got a meeting in the morning, you have the right meeting. Yeah. It's it's when you're comfy and cozy that you're doing all the wrong things. The hardest thing for humans to do is to change. If you look at divorce, if you look at death, if you look at anything drastic, bankruptcy, those are three things that are drastic changes that humans cannot deal with. But, you know, in business, the only way to succeed is to welcome change because it presents new opportunities that you can conquer. But that's it. You, you're always going to be uncomfortable. There's no such thing as the perfect meeting. There's no such thing as... We've had issues with tobacco. Okay, we got, you know, we bought the wrong pile. It's not ready yet. So guess what? We went back and we fermented it longer until it was ready. We had to wait nine months, but we also learned how to ferment tobacco in the process. So turn negative into positive by learning from it. But yeah, I wish I could tell you, hey, it's all great and flowers and all rosy. But, you know, the only way to really demonstrate love is through sacrifice and if you ain't sacrificing, you ain't loving. And if you're not loving, you're not growing. Mm, I love but that. that's it. I mean, I wish I could tell you more. I just pray that, you know, we can continue this. And people just give us a shot. That's all I ask is give me a shot. Give my people yes. a shot. And I think, I truly believe that through hearing more of your story, it's going to open up even more opportunities because you're showing people what it takes to build a beautiful brand that's you know, I keep using the word integrity, but that's in integrity that's birthed from your passion. You started from nothing and you created all of this. And your words, your wisdom, it's going to impact people. I know it. So God bless you. Thank you so much for that. Thank you. So I want to make sure people know how to find you online and on all of the social media. So would you like to share where we can find you online? Yeah. Well, you know, the main spot is uh, cafecigars.com. It's K-A-F-I-E, cigars.com. I'm also on uh, Facebook, Gabby Caffey, G-A-B-Y-K-A-F-I-E. 
Facebook, Instagram, Twitter, LinkedIn, Tumblr, Pinterest. I mean, just Google Kaffee, K-A-F as in Fox, I-E, and I'll pop up. I'm the, I've got That's 50, amazing. I've got a massive family, but for some reason, I pop up. So. <laughs> People will find you, Dr. Gavi Kaffee. Yeah, and reach out to me because you know what? When I was practicing medicine, I had a lot of medical students reach out to me that kind of wanted guidance and help on you know planning their careers. So I'm begging you guys, reach out. I'd love to make new friends. And a lot of you, believe it or not, inspire me more than I do you. So mm. please reach out. I look forward to connecting with all of you. Thank you so much, Dr. Gavi. This, it truly, I just seriously had goosebumps the whole time. And just listening to your story and having you share your triumphs and your tribulations in such an honest way. Ah, thank you. I couldn't ask for anything more. So thank, thank you, you so, so much. much. <laughs> you know, this, this is a great opportunity for, I think, all of us. One thing I do want to say, because I want to say thank you to you and your family, your sister, your mom. I mean, mm. you guys are amazing people. And this is really special because, you know, I have two children, uh, my son who's nine, my daughter's five. And this uh, podcast will allow them to kind of in the future sit back and hear it. And, you know, with, with our parents, I think as much as we talk to them, these are some of the tidbits that, you know, might get left out in mm. the stories that we tell our kids. So I want to thank you for giving me the luxury of having that gift to give them in the future. Mm. Thank you for that reflection. That's thank you very much. So powerful. So guys, make sure you check out Dr. Gavi Kaffee, his beautiful line of cigars and coffee from Honduras, my home country as well. And if you want to reach out to me, you're welcome to do so at my website, www.thenewfirm.co. And we look forward to sharing more stories with you. Thank you all for listening. Thank you so much for being part of Gabriella's dream. You can learn more about Gabriella at thenewfirm.co. A special thank you to Hope Welty Library, Sally Mercedes in the A Year Ago Today podcast, Joshua Weeders, and each one of the guests.